Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 54. Today I am going to talk about a section in Joshua chapter 5, verse 10, 11, and 12. Um, But before that, I want to thank you for stopping in. If you've been walking with me in this podcast, I I appreciate you taking the time each, each episode or each time you're available to to hear uh, a word that I hope to share and make beneficial to to you and to your heart. And if this is your first time, I, I'm, I welcome you. I, I pray that this blesses you, and I pray that God continues to multiply it around the world as He is doing, and uh, it continues to just blow my mind with it. So we'll just uh, jump right in. So I'll go ahead and read the passage, um, and then... When I was reading this, actually, I was listening to it play this morning on my way to work, and God began to point something out to me, and I just began to record some thoughts, and I was able to notate those, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some of those thoughts that I want to share in this episode, uh, so we'll just kind of navigate that and and we'll just see where it goes. Um, so, it's Joshua chapter 5. And this is starting in verse 10 through 12. And it says, On the evening of the fourteenth day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover... That very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. So, if you remember some of the progression from um, in Numbers, Exodus, Deuteronomy, you know that Moses is the leader of the people. And as he is walking the people at, at one point through the wilderness in their 40 years of punishment uh, because of their unbelief, Moses becomes, eventually, he becomes an old man, um, high up in years, and he disobeys the word of the Lord. He becomes himself punished, and his judgment is he's unable to take the people into the, the promised land. God tells Moses that Joshua will be the one to take them in. 
Now, in the book of Joshua, we get to read about all that Joshua does or some of the, the highlights of it. And we find ourselves here. Uh, Joshua is taking the people. They are crossing the Jordan. And as they are making their way into the land, chapter 5 also has Joshua having those of the people who have yet to be circumcised to be circumcised, healed, and then they participate in the Passover meal. And so what we read in verse 10 on the evening of the 14th day of the month while they were camping at Gilgal, and this is at the, in the plains of Jericho, we eventually will read about the fall of Jericho, not this evening, but that, that will be coming next in the storyline. The Israelites, they celebrate the Passover. Now, what I really want to draw your attention to is when we read in verse 11, the day after the Passover, that very day they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. So um, I think the ESV reads this way, and the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain, and the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land, and there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. So this is very interesting because if I read this correctly, after Passover, they ate of the produce of the land that following day. And it says that the manna has ceased the day after they ate, which would have been the day after the morning after the Passover. So they have their Passover meal. The following day, so the next day after that Passover meal, that next day they ate of the land of the produce. Uh, of the produce of that land in Canaan. And after they ate of the land, the manna stopped the next day. So think of this as you picture this language. Think of it of the span of three days. That's how, I, how I'm picturing it and how I'm understanding it. You have day one, you have a Passover meal. The next day, you have them partaking of the land, the food of the land. And then the next day, the third day, you have manna stopping. Now, remember, I think it's maybe Exodus 16, if I remember correctly, 
um, God is providing them with manna and it would fall and they would collect it, that which they would need for the day. So that should imply that the manna is falling in the morning and they are taking what they need of for that full day. So if we think about what's happening here in Joshua, we have a Passover meal, then the following day or the morning, we would, we see them eating of the land, but don't forget the, that manna would fall that morning and they would collect what they would need of the manna. But it says the day after the day they ate of the produce of the land, manna ceased. So if we look very closely, we can see that there is some overlap between the fact that they are eating manna and eating of the new land's produce. I next began to think, when else can we think of when there was an overlap period? So, just to make sure that you understand what I'm saying of overlap, and I may be just being redundant here, but just to make sure that there is you know clear understanding, when I'm talking about overlap here in this period with Joshua, if if I if I'm reading the flow of what's happening correctly, it would appear the day after the Passover meal, manna would have fell that day in addition to them eating of the land, of the promised land of, of Canaan. They're stepping into it. So there is some overlap between manna and the land's the land's produce. Because the following day then, it says explicitly, the manna ceased that day. Okay, so there's some overlap. So I begin to then ask the question, when else can we think of where there was overlap between old and new? Now, the first thing that came to my mind was the ministry of Christ. There was an overlap period. Now, when we think, when we think of the people of in the day of Joshua, no doubt there were people, many people, perhaps, who struggled with the reality that manna has stopped falling. No doubt there were people who grumbled about now they would have to acquire their food in a new way. They were collecting the manna because it fell. But now they will be having to go out and collect it from where it grew, harvest it, grow it, till the ground, having to work the ground in order to yield its result. And so, in their perspective, 
we find ourselves in this overlap period, which can be a very difficult period for people to understand and accept. Now, the same was true of the days of Christ who overlapped between the old and the new. And I believe that this is what Jesus was actually speaking of regarding John the Baptist because he tells us that John was a man that there is no greater man than he. However, he says the least in the kingdom would be greater than John. What does he mean by that? That's a rather confusing statement. I believe that Jesus is expressing the importance of the establishment of his new kingdom and the necessity and importance of becoming a part of it. Because if no man is greater than John, but the least of the men in this new kingdom would be greater than the greatest man ever born, John, this should scream at us the value that God was placing in this new kingdom. So during this time, we find ourselves in the day of Christ in an overlap where the old was fading away and the new was coming into the fullness. Now, Jesus taught of this kingdom and its principles and their realities. But remember, his kingdom had not yet been fully realized or finalized. We could even say consummated until his last breath that he drew because we know that his shed blood was for the remission or forgiveness or blotting out of sin. So there was a critical component to the things that must take place in the form of his death. Now, his resurrection is at least as important as his death. And as I see it, his resurrection would be even more important because it was in his resurrection that he validated everything that he said. It was in his resurrection that Christ established his superiority in terms of validation. It, it could be said that God didn't need the validation of any man for his effectiveness of his shed blood to account for its purpose. What I'm saying there is God didn't need anyone's, he didn't have to validate the effectiveness of his blood But the reason that I say that his resurrection is even more critical is that if his ministry lacked the resurrection, it would all have been a bag of lies. You see, every religion has a pivotal figure that gives of themselves in some sacrificial way. 
But what separates every religion from Christianity itself is is Christianity's figurehead, or Jesus Christ, rose to life. So, to me, the resurrection carries a weight of importance. Above the giving of his life, but that doesn't devalue the giving of his life. But from my perspective, everything hangs upon his resurrection. Now, this is not a point of worth arguing over. Um, it's, it's a more of a side trail of the, the necessity of importance that hangs upon his resurrection. But see, for the Israelites, in their, in their past, passing over into Canaan, they receive an overlap of manna and the land. Now, it's interesting also that this is called um, Passover. You, you likely recall the significance of Passover as it relates to their Egyptian captivity. And the angel of death came, put to death the, the firstborn unless the blood was applied to the doorway of a house. And then the angel of death passed over or spared them. So we think of the implications in this scenario, previously upon their release from Egypt and Passover contextually was significant in the understanding of it being a sparing. Now, translations render this differently, but I believe it's the ESV gives language to them passing over into Canaan. So when we think of Passover, we think of more of a sparing. But here, Israel passes over into the land. So this goes from rather a sparing to an entering into is two completely different ideas, two different realities, if you will, that God's people go from being spared to entering into. Now, this is very much to a picture of salvation. There is a sparing, and then there is a entering into. The writer of Hebrews speaks of entering into God's rest. Israel enters into Canaan, or the promised land. And they eat of the produce of the land. This does not signify, remember, we're talk, thinking also simultaneously entering into God's rest, like in Hebrews, entering into his rest. Now, this does not signify that Israel enters into a land and never has to work for their food. For example, they always are resting. 
because in fact they must work the ground to produce and that working tending stewarding it produces fruit when the author of hebrews speaks of entering rest i believe he's speaking of entering into something of promise living into stepping into the promises of god so in this scenario we find israel not being spared but going into what God has prepared for them. So, in conclusion, we realize that there is quite a unique set of difficulties when a people have to navigate waters of overlap. Picture in your mind two streams that converge into one stream. There is a unique place in which those waters mix. The two streams forming into one congruent stream. But there, there must be a unique spot where those two waters mix together. And the, the downstream singular stream is drawing the waters down. To become one. There, there is a place where they, where they meet that the current is unique. You might could say perhaps even turbulent. And, and I believe that that earthly reality mimics a spiritual truth that we find during this time of Israel entering into Canaan, there is a there is there is a attention that is happening where two are overlapping as one. The manna. There is a participation of or partaking of this manna and the fruit of the land. There is an overlapping. And picture in that tension, the two streams converging into one. And again, we see this same spiritual, physical reality in the ministry of Christ who as the old is fading away and Christ ushering in his new kingdom, his new reign. Now, obviously not like what was pictured of the Messiah or what had been imagined, but there is a tension that rests between overlapping phases. I think there is quite a significance to this reality that I feel that the Lord shared with me today. Um, and at the same time, this is, I feel, just a whisper of, of something 
that there's so much more to it than I've even gotten a whiff of. But I think that when we find ourselves in this tension, this place of, of struggle and frustration, that we should be, we should look around to see what, what possible overlap could be occurring that could help us identify the why behind some of that which that we struggle. Um, when we think about what the Israel, the people uh, of Israel, in the during the ministry of Christ, if we ha- if we really pause and reflect on what obstacles they had to overcome to accept Christ as who he says he is and not just uh, accepting him for who he is but also think about the apostles and the disciples who who were um, trying to show them that life is found only through faith in Jesus alone, the grace of God provided in Christ to make them acceptable to God. Think about that milestone that they would have to 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 reach, the obstacle that they'd have to jump over of the law and the upholding the law. Paul, without question, makes it clear um, in his stance that man does not find life in or by the law. There is life in the law, but there's life is not found by the law. So I just I say that to say there is a significant tension that is found between overlapping realities, overlapping principles, overlapping um, pathways. Um, Words are failing. So, when we find those moments of tension, let's look up, look around, try to decipher what is God doing and what is God desiring to do and how can I come alongside Him, partnering with Him instead of clinging to what I've always believed to be the way or the path instead of laying hold of what God is desiring to do in the future. So uh, I'll leave it there. I pray that this was a blessing and I didn't lose everyone as I stumbled through this 
thought um, completely hot off the press. Uh, so I pray it was a blessing. I pray that God would speak to you through it, uh, fill the gaps and holes that I created by the plenty. And I appreciate you taking the time. And we will see you on the next one. If it means that I'm close to you, I would trade a million lifetimes for a moment here with you.